Welcome to the Berean Bible Church podcast. This message is a part of our Seven Seas of History series. And if you've ever looked at this broken world around us and wondered why God didn't just start over, then stick with us because it turns out he did. Justin Bluer has this morning's teaching. It's called Catastrophe. Here it is. Well, good morning. Thank you for being here today. Who's excited for the Super Bowl? No, me neither. <laughs> who here is who rooting for the Rams tonight? Just kind of curious. Rooting for the Rams. Oh, wow. Not many. Who's rooting for the Bengals? Okay. Be honest. Who's just rooting for the commercials? And really be honest, who's just rooting for the food? <laughs> and I'm rooting for the Bills, sorry. Still rooting for the Bills. Um, thank you for being here. Welcome to our other campuses out in Cincinnati and Bainbridge and online. So glad we're all gathered. I am grateful for the freedom to worship God this morning. And he is doing some really cool things, isn't he? And so would you just continue to keep in prayer our search for a new location down in the Front Street area? Um, God is at work. We can't wait to see what he's going to do, but we've got to keep praying hard that he shows up. And I think God's got something up his sleeve. God's pretty good at that. So we are continuing our 7C series. We're in the third week. We've looked at creation and corruption, and today we look at another C. The purpose of this series is for us to understand who we are and why we're here. We really need to know where we came from. We really need to understand our history. History is important. So we're going through the history of the human existence. And that brings us to where we're at today. And I want to begin by reading a quote for you. And I'll just read it and we'll talk a little about it. It says, I can think of no superior example thoroughly demonstrating why the Bible is not the holy word of any deity than the tale of Noah and his ark. Like every other global deluge story that came before and after Noah, the biblical flood is a lie. The source of the entertaining tale was most likely a tremendous flood that would later be embellished to fantastical proportions. When taken literally, the tale of Noah's Ark is an insult to human intelligence and common sense. If the story didn't appear in the Bible, as is the case for dozens of other flood legends, no one would be giving it a second thought. This is from biblicalnonsense.com. A few years ago, I had the privilege of meeting a young man named Will, a student at Binghamton University, brilliant young man. Will grew up in church, went to Sunday school as a kid, and learned about Noah's Ark. But then he went to real school during the week, and he learned that there was never a global flood. And Will quickly came to the conclusion as he developed in his maturity and his logic and his rationality, if my Bible starts off at the very beginning with a fairy tale. How can I believe the rest of the supposed events in this book? And Will came to probably the only logical conclusion he could have come to, that this book can't be trusted, that God is a fraud, and Will became an atheist. What's ironic is that many of the people that we know, that we work with, go to school with, live with, view this story of Noah and his ark as a tale, as a fairy tale, as a fraud. 
And you have to ask, okay, if this is just a bunch of nonsense, what are the implications? And I think Will kind of got it right. The implications are that this book is really not reliable. But if this flood event was true, if it really happened, what are the implications of that? So today I just want to give a few questions. I'm not going to try to convince you of anything. I just want to give you questions for you to ponder because I believe that God gave each of us a brain that's incredibly amazing, that computers still can't compare to, and I want us to use our brains to ask questions and look at the evidence around us and just come to some rational, logical conclusions because I don't believe that faith is supposed to be blind. Okay, so here's our first question that we're going to wrestle with today. Question number one, what if Noah's flood really happened? I just want to just suspend if you think it's a fairy tale for a moment and just, just think through with me, what if this really happened? Now, I get pretty excited when I start talking about the flood, so you're going to have to forgive me. I'm going to try to calm myself down today. But there's some pretty fascinating stuff all around us in regards to the flood. But let's begin just by looking at what scripture, kind of the account that's controversial. Let's read it and let it just speak for itself, and then we'll talk about it. So if you turn to Genesis 6, near the beginning of the Bible, if you want to use a Bible app, you can tap there. If you want to use a chair Bible, maybe you don't have one, please do. Use a chair Bible. There should be one in a chair near you. And that way we can kind of look at this together. We you don't want to take my word for it, right? You can see it yourself. And if you want a Bible or maybe an easier to understand Bible, take that chair Bible home with you. It's our gift. We don't have any security here to tackle you and rip the Bible out of your hand, I promise. All right, Genesis 6. We're going to read the flood account and then talk about some implications. Uh, chapter 6, verse 9. This is the account of... Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time. You see that? And he walked in close fellowship with God. So he had a relationship with God. He was the only one on earth who did. Noah was the father of three sons. He kind of messed up when he named them and named them Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Poor Ham. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. <laughs> Good thing it's not like that anymore, huh? God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. What did we look at last week? The sea of corruption. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. Build a glorified bathtub with giraffes sticking their heads out. No, build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out, then construct decks and stalls through its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat, put the door on the side, and build three decks inside the boat, lower middle, and upper. Look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. But I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. 
pairs of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you to be kept alive and be sure to take on board enough food for your family and for all the animals. So Noah did exactly, did everything exactly as God had commanded him. Go down to verse 11 of the next chapter. It says, when Noah was 600 years old, uh, fascinating there, on the 17th day of the second month, all the underground waters did what? Erupted from the earth. Underground waters erupted from the earth. This wasn't just a rain event, the way it's written. And the rain fell in mighty torrents from the sky. The rain continued to fall for 40 days and 40 nights. That very day, Noah had gone into the boat with his wife and his sons, Shem, poor Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. With them in the boat were pairs of every kind of animal, domestic and wild, large and small, along with birds of every kind. Two by two, they came into the boat, representing every living thing that breathes. A male and female of each kind entered, just as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord closed the door behind them. Who closed the door behind them? Okay. For 40 days, the floodwaters grew deeper, covering the ground and lifting the boat high above the earth. As the waters rose higher and higher above the earth, the boat floated safely on the surface. Finally, the water covered even the highest mountains on the earth, rising more than 22 feet above the highest peaks. All the living things on earth died. Birds, domestic animals, wild animals, small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the people. Everything that breathed and lived on dry land died. God wiped out every living thing on the earth. People, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and the birds of the sky, all were destroyed. The only people who survived were Noah and those with him on the boat, and the floodwaters covered the earth for 150 days. There you have it. There's the account. Fairy tale or truth? Now, let's think through this. First of all, one of, the, one of the theories that some scholars have is that this is describing a local flood, not a global flood. The way that this is written, could you get away with saying this is a description of a local flood? Moses is the author of this, and he couldn't have been any clearer that the water covered even the highest mountains, that everything on earth is wiped out. I mean, the language he uses couldn't be clear that he's trying to describe a global flood event. So the question becomes, how could this possibly be true? I don't see this surviving a flood. But what if it was as the record describes it here, what if it was as large as, large as a cargo ship? What if it really was as big as God told Noah to make it? And what if it took him many years and many workers to build this thing? One of, one of the things especially kids will say instantly is, okay, but what about the, I heard it, the dinosaurs? What about the dinosaurs? If this was true and this didn't cause the mass extinction of the dinosaurs, how in the world did Noah fit the dinosaurs on the ark? Anyone know the average size of a dinosaur? The average size, there were many different dinosaur species, the average size was the size of a sheep. Now, were there big guys like T-Rex and Titanosaurus and those guys? Of course there were. But what God brought to Noah for the ark were what age animals? Young or old? 
What did they have to do as soon as the flood event was over? They had to reproduce. They were young animals. Young mammals tend to be large or small. Smaller, even dinos. And so the size of this ship absolutely could have fit young dinosaurs. But let me give you, besides just some of those things, let me give you maybe three interesting pieces of evidence that are around us today for, for kind of evidence that the flood could have happened. The, the first one is fascinating. If Noah's flood really happened, let, let's just suspend maybe what we think or believe that it's a fairy tale or, or maybe that we're not sure. Let's just look at the evidence. If a global flood really happened in history someday in the past, what would you expect to find? Think geology. If a, if a flood happened and it was a global event, what would you expect to find? You'd expect to find fossils, and, and essentially what you're looking for is you'd expect to find billions of dead things buried in rock layers, laid down by water, all over the earth. I'm quoting Ken Ham here, a famous author, right? Now, when we look around us at the world, what do we find? We find billions of dead things buried in rock layers, laid down by water, all over the earth. You know... I have sea fossils in my backyard. And you probably do too. What's amazing, if you visit the highest mountains in the world and you summit them, you know what you find at the very top? Sea fossils. How did they get up there? Do you really think birds drop them? If you go to the innermost parts of continents, you go to the Midwest, the furthest place from the oceans, and you begin digging, you know what you find? Sea fossils. From coast to coast, from corner to corner of this globe, everywhere you go, you find billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth. Here's a question. Do you know what is a mile beneath your feet right now? There is a rock layer called the Marcellus Shale. Do you remember when this was controversial a few years ago? There was a great political controversy about drilling into that rock layer because what is it that's so valuable in that rock layer? Natural gas, right? And it's beneath us, Bainbridge, Cincy, it's beneath you guys, a mile beneath our feet right now. Where did that gas come from? What is gas? Does anyone know what gas is from? Gas is, get this, it's decayed plant and animal matter. How to get a mile down there? Have we ever stopped to consider this? And you have these gas and oil deposits a mile plus beneath our feet. Everywhere you look on planet Earth, you have dead things buried in rock layers that were laid down by water from the highest mountains to over a mile beneath our feet. How did it all get here? Where did it all come from? What if there was a global flood? That instantly explains it all. Now, another little clue, that was clue one, another clue all around us, and this absolutely fascinates me, it's this rock. Now, some of you that are close here can probably see that this doesn't look like a rock. What does it look like? It looks like wood because it is wood. It's rock 
wood. And I bought it when we were on our honeymoon and we were traveling the country and we stopped at the Petrified National Forest in Arizona. Anyone ever been there? It is a fascinating place. All around the Petrified National Forest is fossilized or petrified wood. Now, geologists have said for a long time that this was formed through natural processes of millions of years. But let me ask you, if you take dead wood and give it millions of years, what happens to it? It rots. I don't know what kind of wood you've seen, but my wood rots. And it doesn't take millions of years. And so they realized that for wood to petrify, for wood to fossilize, you can't just give it time. You have to give it tremendous burial under deep pressure. It has to be buried, wood has to be buried very quickly and pressurized so no oxygen can reach it. And because of that, it fossilizes. If any oxygen reaches it, it rots. And so scientists and geologists have come to realize that the only way you get fossilized wood is through a rapid burial event. How do you get a rapid burial event? There's two things in nature that explain a rapid burial event. Floods and volcanoes. Now, as we were going through the natural, National Petrified Forest, there was a building, and in that building there was a glass case with a map of the world. And on that map of the world, there were fossilized wood samples from countries around the world on that map. And they were dated from the same time period. Now, if you believe that a flood happened globally, what would you expect to find? Fossilized wood from every country dated at the same period. So I was fascinated that they not only showed that there is fossilized wood from the same time period around the world, I wanted to see what their explanation for it would be. And here's what their explanation for it was. At one point in history, there must have been a series of synchronized volcanoes. I mean, you have to suspend logic. Why are they going out of their way so much to say a flood couldn't have been global? It must have been volcanoes. The evidence is literally all around us. And the reason why geologists and scientists who don't believe this book can't acknowledge a global flood happened is because it throws everything off in their understanding of the world and of geology. Their entire time frame, their entire understanding of our world would be like a house of cards. If you insert a global flood, their house of cards collapses. They can't acknowledge the possibility of a global flood, even though the evidence is everywhere. One more clue that's fascinating is this. When Christian scientists look at the Grand Canyon. We see the power of water during a cataclysmic event to rapidly reshape the landscape. Now, when secular scientists who don't believe the Word of God see the same thing, they see the power of a small river to carve a great canyon. I don't know about you, but I've looked at the Shenango River. It's been flowing for centuries, and I have yet to see a nice canyon there. Here's what's fascinating about this. This Grand Canyon, which we look at, is another evidence of a flood or post-flood cataclysmic event. 
Scientists cannot acknowledge that this could have happened through a rapid event. They say it's a millions of years of that small river carving this. And yet, when we look at Mars, you know what we see on Mars? We see this looks like a scar, like a scrape mark. There is a Grand Canyon of Mars. And we've seen it with our rovers and with our satellites. And do you know what the official explanation is for how this Grand Canyon formed on Mars? There must have been a global Martian flood at one point. I kid you not. Now listen to the irony of this. Do you know that we have yet to find one liquid drop of water on Mars? And yet we look at just a similar feature like a Grand Canyon said it. Well, it was obviously a global flood that caused this. And yet you look at Earth, which is over 70% water, and say, well, it couldn't have been a global flood down here. If you melted the polar ice caps and smoothed out the surface of the Earth, we would be underneath 1.67 miles of water today. In fact, we have 326 million trillion gallons of water on Earth. Someone counted, it wasn't me. So listen, friends, how can smart people see a flood on waterless Mars and look at our water-filled Earth and reject the possibility of a global flood? Because if the flood really happened, as Scripture describes, there are enormous implications, one of which is this. Our Earth could be very young. And if our earth is very young, we would expect that after that flood event, if it happened, there would have been a post-flood ice age, and that's a whole other research to get into, which is fascinating. We are still coming out of a recent ice age. Why do we think it's normal that there's polar ice caps and so much of the northern hemisphere is locked under permafrost? Why do we just think that's normal? Why do we think it's normal that there's so much water? Over 70% of our surface of our earth is underwater. Why do we think that's normal? See, if the flood really happened, and we're coming out of a post-flood ice age, and the earth is young, we would expect a climate that changes. But if you reject a global flood and embrace the concept of an earth that's billions of years old, you're going to get freaked out by a changing climate because it's not supposed to change as fast. It's supposed to be slow, gradual changes, and these changes are too fast. And so while people are running around in terror at the changes in the climate, people who embrace the Bible's history say it's no cause for alarm. This is a pretty young earth that's been flooded, that's coming out of an ice age. And the evidence is all around us. Now, there's so much more I'd love to talk about there. There's tons of evidence. But let me ask you another big kind of unsettling question. Besides, what if the flood happened? The second question of this, what if the flood was actually really needed? Let me, let me word that a different way. What if the flood wasn't the catastrophe? If you haven't caught it yet, our C for today. Creation, corruption, catastrophe. What if the flood wasn't the catastrophe? What if the flood was the solution to the catastrophe? Now, I know it sounds almost barbaric 
to consider that the near global extermination of the human race could have been a solution to anything. But let's go back in history really quick and look at the first two C's. The first C was creation. God had spent potentially billions of years designing and planning and thinking through and dreaming a universe. And then in six days, according to the Bible's record, in six days, God speaks it into existence. And did God like what he made? He loved it. In fact, on the seventh day, he just rested and enjoyed it. He loved what he made. But you know what he loved most of all in that he had made? Human beings, the crown jewel of his creations, the one who were made in his image. He came down and he officiated their wedding. I mean, he loved people. He made people in his own image. Those very people that he made had everything they could want, everything they could need. But was it enough? No. And that was the second C, was corruption. They said to God, we're going to do things our way. And they did. And in the moment that they defied God, the world broke. Creation broke. Perfection broke. And then introduced corruption, and it brought sin, which brought suffering and disease and death. And what's interesting is the story keeps spiraling out of control. So Genesis 1 through 2 was this perfect creation. Genesis 3 was the corruption. Adam and Eve eating that forbidden fruit. And now what's interesting is you get into Genesis 4, and you've got the first human being born on planet Earth, jealous of his younger brother, the second human being born on planet Earth. And God shows up to the older brother and says, hey, young man, sin is crouching at your door, and it wants to master you but you must subdue it. You must subdue it. And it's this idea that corruption is so pervasive in our world that sin is literally kneeling at your door. It's waiting to corrupt you. You've got to resist it. Don't let it. Obey me. Stop being jealous of your brother. What did that young man do? He went out in a fit of rage, and he kills his brother. The first human being born on planet Earth becomes a murderer. The second human being born on planet Earth becomes a murder victim. And the story just spirals down from there. The world gets filled with chaos. It gets filled with wars. It gets filled with diseases. And Genesis 4, 5, and 6 kind of tells us of a world where technology takes off and increases rapidly. They were on the cusp of having electric vehicles probably. Technology took off. I mean, it took off. It skyrocketed. But as technology took off, human morality went like this. And violence and all these things filled and corrupted the earth. And God looked down. And he was so deeply grieved by what he saw. This was not the world he made. This is not the future he dreamed for this earth. And I want you to see God's response. Look at Genesis chapter 6 again. Um, We're going to look at verse 5 here. Check this out. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything they thought, everything humans thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. 
Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them. Go to chapter 7. Look at one more verse, verse 4. Seven days from now I will make the rains pour down on the earth, and it will rain for 40 days and 40 nights until I have wiped from the earth all the living things I have created. Check this out. What if... The catastrophe was not the flood. What if corruption was the catastrophe and the flood was the solution? When you and I are doing a deep clean in our house, there's something we break out that I absolutely love the smell of. I could sniff this all day. Now you know what's wrong with me. Why do we get this stuff out? Why do we use it, especially in our bathrooms? What does it do? It indiscriminately disinfects. Good bacteria, bad bacteria, it doesn't discriminate. It, it wipes it all out, completely clean, and then it smells awesome. Now, what if the flood was God's moment of disinfecting our world? And God bleaching and starting over, starting fresh, starting clean, wiping the slate clean. He's like, you guys have ruined it so badly. The only thing I can do is start over. And he was about to, right? He was about to. And then it says in verse 8 of chapter 6, but Noah found favor with the Lord. God saw one guy. One guy. And he's like, oh, there's one guy. can't do it. So he talks to the one guy and says, I'll, I'll rescue you and your family. That's it. You and your family. That's it. Build a boat. Put a door in it. And trust me, there's a flood coming. Now, before you think Noah was all that, Noah was pretty messed up. In fact, the first story after the flood is Noah getting just completely skunk drunk and then one of his sons doing something perverted. I mean, it was ridiculous. Another indication that the bleaching event didn't quite work because God showed mercy in the last moment to one family. Knowing if I leave a little bit of corruption, it's going to corrupt everything all over again. And it has. And we've corrupted again. We've messed it up all over again. Which kind of leads us to our last unsettling question this morning. What if another global judgment is coming? If the first global judgment happened because things were so corrupt and violent and evil and all that, and you read the description of Noah's day and it reads like today's newspaper, what if another global judgment is coming? Now you might be saying, no, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Justin, wait a minute. That was in the Old Testament. That, that God was like a harsh, condemning, judgmental God. We live in a New Testament world with a really loving God. Okay, but my Bible tells me that God does not change, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You say, but, but Justin, after the flood, didn't God promise he would never do that again? And didn't he? Yeah, in fact, after the flood event, he said to Noah, listen, I'm going to want to do this again in the future. And so what I'm going to do is after a rainstorm, I, <laughs> I'm going to put in the clouds this bow, Call it a rain 
bow, right? I'm going to put it in the clouds, and it's going to be a sign of my promise not to do another global flood. And so in this rain event, right, when rain events happen and God sees, I mean, we see the rain, we're like, oh, that's beautiful. God sees the rainbow, he's like, okay, turn off the spigot, I promised. God promised he won't do it again with water. But what if God is going to do it again with something else? I don't want you to take my word for it. So uh, let's look there real quick. 2 Peter 3, this is New Testament. This is the New Testament God of love. 2 Peter chapter 3, check this out. This is fascinating. Second Peter chapter 3, page 983 in your chair Bible. This is the last passage we're going to look at. Chapter 3, verse 3. It says, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, now wait a minute, if that term last days means last days, it must mean there's some sort of end coming, right? Last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. Is there any mockery of the truth that you see around us? Do we tend to follow our own desires? Oh my goodness. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? You really believe that? You really think Jesus is coming back? How foolish. From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. There's been no changes. This is uniformitarianism, right? This idea that things change slowly over time using the same processes. All the dating methods use this belief that God promised us would be in the last days. Verse 5, but they deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of his command and brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. Wait a minute, who's writing this? One of Jesus' closest friends. Peter, he believed that the global flood happened. You know who else did? Jesus believed the global flood really happened. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. Listen, my friends, one of the biggest fears that our kids are getting injected with in school today is a fear of climate change leading to global warming. Can I tell you? That's legitimate fear, but it's for a different reason. There's going to be a tremendous amount of climate change and global warming when God judges the earth the next time. It's not going to be caused by humans. It's going to be caused by God. Check this out. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. Time doesn't affect God the way it affects us. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promises. Some people think, no, he's being patient for your sake. You say, why hasn't God wiped clean and started over yet? Well, because there's more people. There's more people that he wants to rescue and save. I am so glad 30 years ago his patience didn't run out because I would have missed out. Right? I am so glad last year 
God's patience didn't run out because Joel and Mel, we talked about this morning, they would have missed out. God is patient. There are more people he wants to invite into his family. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. Don't miss that. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything in it will be found to deserve judgment. Listen, can elements melt? People used to say it's impossible. And then atomic energy, nuclear weapons were created. They say, oh, when you melt elements, it's the most powerful force in the world. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives we should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On the day he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. What if a global flood really happened? If it really happened, the same one who caused the global flood has made a promise that he's going to do it again someday, but not with water, with fire. In Noah's day, there was only one way of escape. The only way you ride out the flood is obviously with a life jacket, right? It was in that ship, in that, in that boat. How many doors were there on that boat? It was one. Noah spent decades building that ship with a lot of hired help in his family and pleading with everybody around him, please come onto the boat. Please come onto the boat. Please come onto the boat with us. The world's going to be flooded. He was building a ship in the middle of a desert where it didn't rain. You think anyone believed him? He was looked at as a kook, as a fraud, until the day the rain came. And that day was the day God closed the door. It was too late. And only one man and his family escaped. My friends, today there is one more door of escape. And it is Jesus Christ. He is the only way of escape from a judgment that is promised to come. It's not through environmentalism that we save our world. It's not through religion or even baptism that we save ourselves. The only way of salvation is through Jesus Christ. And can I tell you something, my friends? The door is open. It's open for now. And if you believe in a global flood, and if you believe in God coming soon for another global judgment, you're kind of looked at like a modern Noah. People will laugh at you and they will mock you. But like Noah, we shouldn't give up. Pointing to the record of history. Pointing to a God who always does what he says he's going to do. Who never lies. Who never breaks his promise. See, if Noah's flood really happened, it changes everything. The stakes are enormous. And our kids who learn in church or Sunday school about this flood event and then learn in real school that it could never happen are going to be faced with a crisis as their brains developed and as they learn logic and rationality. And they're going to be faced with a crisis. Either I believe that the Bible's filled with story tales or I believe that it's true 
I can't have it both ways. And there comes a time where we just have to realize real faith is not blind. The evidence is all around us to confirm the record of Scripture. And that's why it's so important that we instruct young people in the evidence. No, not brainwashing, right? That we show them the evidence that backs up the claims of Scripture. There is a place that has actually become a destination of sorts for people that want to research this further. Has anyone heard of the Ark Encounter out in Kentucky? Who, who has been to the Ark Encounter or the Creation Museum? Just curious. Okay, some of you. This is an incredible vacation destination. We went there a couple summers ago with the kids. It is a life-size replica of Noah's Ark with explanations for all those questions that we've asked and many more today. They have a creation museum that allows you to not suspend your thinking to become a Christian. That doesn't say you just have to blindly believe this stuff. No, you can logically believe it. And the evidence is all around us. I encourage you, take a family trip out there. Go out with some friends. Look at the evidence for yourself. If you want to research this further, I've got two options for you this morning because some of you, your wheels are going, you want to dig. And I don't just expect you to say, oh yeah, well, you know, we talked about it for 40 minutes this morning, I buy it. I don't expect that at all. Some of you, you've learned your whole life that what we've talked about today is a fairy tale. I don't expect that that's just going to change instantly. Study it out. Research it out. We did... Um, in 2013, an eight-week series on Noah's Flood, we got into the nitty-gritty. It was fun. We got into how did they live so long back then and why did H-band shorten afterwards. We got into the dinosaur question. We got into the geology question. We got into all that stuff. So I put a link for you in our discussion guide for this week. It's in your e-bulletin. Your small group discussion guide is a link to all eight of these messages in our Eight Secrets of Noah's Flood series. This might be fun for some of you that are curious to research. Another thing you can do to research is there's a website called Answers in Genesis. Phenomenal articles, videos, research on dinosaurs, on dating methods, on top of, top of last week it was on unicorns. I mean, just some fascinating stuff where they research. And these, these are PhD scientists who also happen to believe the record of Scripture. And they're looking at the evidence, and they're saying, what if this is explainable by believing the word of God? I think at the end of the day, it all comes down to this. Who will you believe? Will you believe a group of scientists who reject God and say that you are a product of time and chance? Your life is a mistake. You are an evolved animal and there is no future after death. Or will you believe a different version of reality that says you were made on purpose by a God who designed and planned you and loves you and he has a purpose for your life and he has a future prepared for you? There's two different ways to view our world. One is filled with hope and significance and the other is filled with who cares? Research, look at the evidence around you. There may be more than you've been told.
Would you bow with me this morning? Heavenly Father, this has been fun today to talk through some of this. God, thank you for giving us evidence, evidence all around us. Thank you that faith doesn't have to be blind, that you have put fossils in our backyards, that you have put gas beneath our feet to show us that at one time our world was buried underwater. And the God who brought that will one day bring another, not of water, but of fire. And he wants to destroy no one in that fire. He wants all to be saved, all to be rescued. And he wants that so badly that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to this world to die for us so we could live. (laughs) So people say, life's worthless. Jesus didn't think so. Jesus paid with his life for ours. And my friends, he rose from the dead three days later to say, I have conquered the grave. I have conquered death. It has no power over any who believe in me. The day a follower of Jesus dies is the day you graduate. There is more to this life than this life. You were made on purpose by a God who designed humanity intentionally with incredible design. And he loves you, and he's put clues all around you. If if the flood was a fairy tale, God is a fraud, you can throw it all out. But if the flood happened, it changes everything. God, I pray that you will help us to have confidence in the God who created us, who offers us salvation. God, I pray for those who are maybe on the fence or those who are skeptical. Give them the courage to research this and let the evidence lead them to a conclusion that makes sense. Lord, you're awesome. Thank you for showing us a way of escape. We pray this in the awesome, powerful name, the only name of salvation, Jesus Christ. And God's people said, Amen.